you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. We're going to look at um, relationships. <clears throat> We're going to look at leadership overload. One of the things that we need to be careful about is that we don't overload a system. Uh, most of you know we have a pavilion down back, and uh, Russ is in the process of wiring that. And him and I had a discussion. Russ is an engineer. He can take care of this. But we discussed this, is we need to figure out how big a wire are we going to run over to the pavilion so that we can get enough electric over there so we don't overload the system. Well, guess what? Whether it's electric or whatever it is, human relationships, systems absolutely can get overloaded. People can get overloaded by just too much on their plate. And we need to be really careful about that. Moses was trying to do everything God wanted him to do, but he was doing more than he was capable of doing. And of all people, guess who came to the rescue? His father-in-law. Now, I don't know about you, but um, growing up, I didn't think my dad was a really smart guy. I found out later he was a lot smarter than I thought. We still didn't agree with everything. And I thought my father-in-law was kind of like my dad, and I didn't really, after a while, want to hear anything he had to say. So I know a little bit about this father-in-law thing. And after a while, I realized, you know what? He's been around a lot longer than I have been. And there are some subjects where he knows more than I do. I ought to listen to him. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to do what he said. But I better listen because I may gain something from that. And you know what? When I got that through this thick Pennsylvania Dutch skull, I realized that I can really learn from other people. I don't have to agree with everything but I can learn. And so I just figured, a professor of ours told us in, at uh, college one time, he said, as a pastor, you're going to read a lot of books. And when you read a book, you eat the chicken and throw out the bones. And I like that statement because it means you're going to have a lot of input into your life. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. What is good, man, grab it, use it. Make, yourself, make it available to yourself. And if there's things that don't work, just get rid of them. But make sure you have an open mind to what's going on. So I don't know what your relationship with your father-in-law is, but uh, I can tell you that when you have a good one, it makes a whole lot better. It makes things work a whole lot better. But in the New Testament, Jesus dealt with the subject of leadership. Now, Exodus chapter 18 is not about leadership as a whole, even though the principles absolutely do deal with leadership. I use this when I teach a leadership training classes. I absolutely use this passage because there are good principles there. But it's basically talking about judicial leadership in this case, but the principles apply across the board. For example, even in the United States, we absolutely use this system, not only in the executive branch, but also in Congress and, and representatives in the Senate, but also in the judicial system. The lowest level are the district judge, justices, and then there are the district courts, and then there's the Pennsylvania courts and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Then it goes to federal courts, and then ultimately the federal Supreme Court. And uh, if you 
have your head under, under a rock someplace, uh, you know that one of our Supreme Court justices just passed away the other night, and that's going to be a <clears throat> dealing with that's going to be one more thing to add to this mess that we're all in because it's going to be a fight, I'm pretty sure about that. But you know what? It's layers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do you avoid leadership overload. Jesus made it clear his disciples came to him and uh, they brought their mother with. Actually, their mother came, I'm sorry, the mother came and said, hey, Jesus, when, what, can, can one of my sons be on the right and one be on the left? Jesus was not real happy with her. I can tell you that. Uh, that's one of those places where I'm looking and putting my sanctified imagination there. And he's going, lady, you have no idea what you're talking about. He didn't say that, but he called the disciples together and he says, you know what? Among you, it, doesn't, it should not be this way. In fact, is not only what I believe Jesus irritated, the other ten disciples, it says they were indignant. This is in Matthew chapter 20. And it says, he called Elm to himself. He said, guys, come here. We, we have to have a serious talk. He said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Guess what, guys? This is not how you operate. This is not my kind of leadership. My leadership is very different. He says, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant to everyone. You want to be first? You want everybody to look at you? Be a slave. He said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You can call it a couple of different things. You can call it servant leadership. That's a good term. Or you can call it shepherd leadership. Remember, a shepherd walks before the sheep. The point man. The shepherd goes ahead. The shepherd makes the way for the rest. Leadership is never you need to look to me and, uh, you know, you need to uh, demand respect and all those. That's not it at all. It is, no, if I'm going to be a leader, I need to go out of my way to meet your needs, to help you, to help you make that decision, to lift your load and those kinds of things. Moses was really good at that, but there is a limit to that. And so we're going to see that whole thing in balance, I believe, today. Because uh, Moses really did go out of his way to uh, go into the whole idea is, I'm going to do what I can do to help the people. And so he is doing this, and we're going to pick this up now in verse 1. It says, now Jethro, the priest of Midian, uh, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel, how he had the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro here is not the character on the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm going to tell you a little story, a backstory. My wife and I, many years ago, uh, went to Word of Life Bible Institute, and uh, we would go to class at 8 o'clock in the morning, and class, I think, went to 12 o'clock, and by 12.30, we were home. And by that time, 
We were hungry, we were tired, and our brain was fried. We did not, we had so much to do, we didn't watch any TV except one half hour of TV a day. At lunchtime, we would get our sandwiches or whatever we were eating, and we'd sit down in front of the TV and watch the Beverly Hillbillies. And my wife and I said, we just need something that's totally brainless. And with Jeffro came on, it was totally brainless. You know, and it would kind of, you know, bring us back down again and uh, kind of mellow us out a little bit so we could function to study for the rest of the day or do the work we needed to. But this is not that guy. This guy is an exalted guy with a position of authority. Remember, a priest is one who brings people to God. He is that person that says, hey, I'm here for you and um, I am going to help you to be right with God, to bring you to God, and to teach you what God has to say. A prophet, on the other hand, is one who speaks directly from God to people, whether it's about what's happening now or what's going to happen in the future. But it says here that he was a priest of Midian. Now, there are some people that say, well, he was a pagan priest. I do not believe that to be true from the context here and what else I know from other places in Scripture. But there were priests before the Levitical priesthood was established. That's not going to happen until God gives the law. And the law is more than the Ten Commandments. It's everything about the instructions and the, the commands that God gave to Israel. But there were priests, obviously in Midian, and there were priests among the Hebrew people also. I know that from the next chapter. I've read ahead. And um, so I believe that he was absolutely a priest of the one true God, Jehovah. You say, well, how would have he known that? I don't know if you know this or not, but Midian was actually a son of one of Abraham's wives. You know, there was Sarah, Hagar, and then there was Keturah. This is the son of Keturah. Whether she was a secondary wife, a concubine, or a real wife, I'm not 100% sure. Really doesn't matter. But he would have known and those people would have known about Jehovah God. So there's no reason to believe that he was some kind of a pagan priest. In fact, is everything that we see here, I believe, leads us in that direction. Nonetheless, when you come to the end of the story, you have to go, no, this guy's the real deal, without a doubt. But somehow or the other, on the desert Facebook or the desert uh, you know, media, somehow or the other, he followed, that's not a new term, he was following his son-in-law's career. Now, he had lived with him for 40 years, remember? He has two grandchildren. He had given his daughter to Moses as a wife, and they are still living with him. When Moses went back to Egypt, I think Moses knew enough that what he's going to deal with a wife and kids tagging along would not probably be a good deal. Things were going to be pretty rough. So he left them with his father-in-law, went back and uh, told Pharaoh, let my people go, and you know the rest of the story. We looked at that. And so when his father-in-law finds out what had happened, he now comes out. He's been following all along. He comes out and uh, brings Sipporah and his two children. The children, by the way, were named Gershom, uh, which means 
uh, I've been a foreigner, a sojourner uh, in another land, and Eliezer, which is God is my help. In those days, and many of you have done this, you thought about something that God had done or uh, a name you like from the Bible and you used that and when you named your children you had a specific reason you named them. In the Bible many times it is very very specific and so that's exactly what uh, Moses had done and so Jethro who is also in case you don't know this yet his other name was Raul and uh, it is not unusual for people in the Bible, kings in particular, to have two or three different names. Some of them were variations of the same name, and others were completely different. So don't be confused by that. Uh, it is one and the same. And so he comes out into the wilderness. It says, to the Mount of God. That is not Mount Sinai, the peak that Moses goes up to speak with God. It's not that peak. It is the mountain range. They're not quite at the Sinai proper yet, but that mountain range, that they're at the foothills of the mountain. He comes out to him, uh, and again, Sinai is also called Horab. Again, don't mistake that. It's not two different things. They're both the same. And so... He sends ahead, I don't know who he sent ahead, I, your father, uh, Jethro, I'm coming with your wife and your two sons, and here's kind of the interesting thing. The last people that had come to the Israelites were the Amalekites. They came to fight and confront with them. Here comes uh, Jethro. He's coming, actually rejoicing, bringing good news, bringing Moses' family, and I believe he is coming with good advice. I think he sees what his son-in-law is doing. He sees he's overloaded. I know that because I read the rest of the story. And uh, he is just anxious to get back to him. Now, I want you to look here. A lot of us don't do this with our father-in-laws. I have never done this. But uh, anyway, you take it for what it's worth. It says in verse 7, then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. So his father-in-law is on the way with his wife and children. And he leaves the camp and goes out to meet him somewhere in the desert. How far, it doesn't tell us. But it says when he got there, he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Here's what I know. It's a good relationship. It is a happy meeting. I don't believe he bowed down in worship. But it's respect. And you see these kinds of things. And I'm telling you, if you're going to have leadership, there better be some of these things that go together. Respect being the first one. It's like, hey, I appreciate you. I respect what you do and who you are and those kinds of things. There's also affection. There's also an interest in what the other person's been doing. There is common courtesy, which today... It's almost like common rudeness that just is a real bothersome thing. Um, and you go, yeah, but uh, common courtesy, you know, that's really not all that much. I'm going to tell you, it is the oil of all society. That's why you teach your children to say please and thank you and excuse me and those things. They don't accomplish anything per se, but they sure make it go better. I am always thrilled. My son John is here. I'm going to assume his wife taught his children this. 
Maybe he did. I hope he did. But when, when they're done with their pizza and their dessert on Sundays, they always come up to my wife and thank her for pizza or whatever they had. That's a thrill. John, I, I, don't, I don't know who taught them that, but... Oh, okay. I expect that from my son. But anyway, but no, that's really cool because it makes things go. And, and here's what you find. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have brought this up. Anyway, and there's fellowship. And, and in leadership, you, you can be a leader and you can have a position, but if you don't have a relationship with that other person, it doesn't work real well. There should be that common courtesy and interaction and appreciating the other person. I'm going to move on from there because I have a lot of other things. And then Moses goes on. Now remember, Jethro's been following what's been happening, but now he's going to get a firsthand report from his son-in-law. This is verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had befallen them on the journeys and how God had delivered them. We really need to get something straight when we talk about what's going on. Notice it is not the la-la land is, you know... Everything is wonderful. Years ago, there was a, a man at the church I attended before as a pastor. Um, he had been a great influence on me. He taught me how to witness to other people. That is huge. I respect the guy for that. And he, he was very good at it. I went with him on visitation, and I went to his classes, and that was great. But later on, he had health problems. And when he had the health problems, and he kind of got a little grouchy. I'm not sure what the deal was. I guess it, he had a problem with people. That's what he told me. Anyway, I would walk up to him because he had been a great influence in my life. I would walk up and say, how are you doing? The Lord is good. I wanted to grab him and shake him. I, didn't, I knew the Lord is good. I don't need him to tell me that. I want to have a relationship with him. But he had gotten to the point he wouldn't eat. Church was over, he'd leave and go and sit in his truck. Boy, that irritated me. Because I knew what this guy was capable of. I knew that he was outgoing and he could do these things. One day I just got so convicted, I prayed about it. I probably had no idea what the sermon was that day because I'm like, if he does that again, I'm going out to his truck. And I went out to his truck and knocked on his window. <laughs> You know, but I wanted a relationship with him because we worked together and I wanted him to continue that direction. But uh, he just got disgruntled. He didn't want anything to do with people anymore. And he's the guy that taught me how to witness to other people. You need to have those kinds of things. And we need to acknowledge that there are hard things. Nobody should walk around as a Christian with their head in the sand. There are a lot of hard things going on around us. There's no doubt about it. But I will tell you, the Lord has delivered us. The hardship has befallen, but God is bigger than the situation. I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's elections. I don't care if it's riots. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's your business. 
Whatever it is. We don't go, oh, the Lord is good and we live in la-la land someplace. You can turn on the TV and you can hear preachers living in la-la land. And then you can turn on something else and it's all gloom, despair, and misery. Neither one of those is the whole picture. The whole picture is what actually happened. Yes, there are hardships, but the Lord is bigger. He delivers. That's where I want to get there. And it says in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced over the goodness which the Lord had done in Israel and delivered them from the Egyptians. Notice he didn't say, oh, it's wonderful that you had a hard time and that all kinds of bad stuff happened. Remember, a lot of those plagues affected everyone, not just the Egyptians. It was a tough time. But they rejoiced that God is good in the midst. One of the things that I will tell you, and I just had this discussion after the first service, is in the good times, you know what? It's really easy to be a Christian, and it's really good to rejoice. And others who see us go, oh yeah, everything's great. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? So what's the big deal? Everything's going good for me. Remember Job? Job had everything. And Satan comes along and says to God, hey, yeah, no bad happened. happened. And so there's no real, there's no real uh, praise here because, hey, nothing bad happened to Job. What really counts, folks, what really counts is what is my attitude where do I go when times are tough? Could be your family. Could be your job. Could be society as a whole. I don't care what it is. Where are you? What do you do in the middle of that? That's when the light shines bright. That's when Christianity, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that's when it shines. I want to tell you, the world doesn't need a bunch of Christians who gloom, despair, and misery. They need us to be light and salt now more than any time I can think of in my lifetime. If you see that as a challenge, fine. If you go, hey, that's exactly what I'm doing, great also. But I really believe we don't ignore the problem. That's, that's dumb. And we don't just... Look at the problem. No, we look at the problem from a different point of view than the world does. And we need to make it very clear that this is how it works. And I'm going to move on because I realized that uh, that wasn't in, none of that was in the script, by the way. So we're, we're moving on because I want to look at the last part of this. And that is that the, the situation is overwhelming. And I'm just going to do this very quickly. Verse 13 simply says that the people were standing around waiting in line for Moses to give them a judgment from morning to evening. It was never ending. And Moses is taking all of this on. It's leadership overload. I'll make one more statement here. Many years ago, right after we moved into this building... Um, I got to the point where I was gone six nights a week. I didn't have a secretary and didn't have an associate pastor. And I was gone six nights a week. And I know what burnout looks like. 
and I was right at the edge. If you don't want to know where burnout is, is all the things that were thrilling and exciting are no longer thrilling and exciting. Life has just kind of crashed on you. That's burnout. Uh, it's not from hard work. It's just from way more than you can ever handle and taking on more than you can handle. Moses is taking on more than he can handle. His father-in-law, with a set of eyes from the outside, could look in and say, Hey, Moses, this isn't good. And he's actually going to tell him that. The situation is overwhelming. Is Moses a bad guy because he's doing this? The answer is no. He wants to be the guy God made him and God called him to be. But the observation is, there's a backlog. He says, you got people standing in line, and he says, what are you doing? Yeah, what's this thing you're doing? Why are you doing it alone? Why are you the only judge? Aren't there other people that can do this? Do you have to get burnt out, overwhelmed by it? The answer is no. He says, there's a critical need. And that's what Moses says. Moses says, hey, I'm doing what, what needs to be done. Hey, people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me. And I have an answer for them. Because why? He was a direct connection with God. And he could give them the answer. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, is that's going to continue. He said, people have critical needs. It, I don't care. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care if it's society. I don't care if it's a neighborhood. It doesn't matter. People butt heads. Uh, God is eventually going to give them the law that simply says, hey, you know what? If your oxen gores another guy's oxen, here's what you do. They didn't have that yet. And Moses had to pull the feuding people apart, give them good advice, whatever else it was. So what Moses was doing was not bad. It's a critical need among any group of people. Somebody needs to be an arbitrator, a judge. So what's the conclusion? You need help. He said, you will surely wear yourself out. Both yourself and the people you're with. Remember, if leadership is so overwhelmed that they can't get things done, everybody gets frustrated. And then they get angry with each other because the frustration just builds and builds and builds. And after a while, you got chaos. He says, you're going to wear yourself out and the people are going to get fed up with it also. He says, the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. That's a father-in-law speaking. And I don't think it's because he didn't like his son-in-law. It's because he looked out for the good, not only of his son-in-law, but for the group of people as a whole. He had a heart for them. And so what do you do? You work at levels. He says, here's what you do. You judge the people this way. If there's a difficult dispute, nobody can figure it out, and you need God's input above and beyond, it should come to you, Moses. You're the buck stops here. God chose you to be his man. That's very clear through the whole book of Exodus. He was absolutely set apart by God to be the leader. But he says those minor things, those scraps between people, if you come to me and you say somebody somewhere in church or out elsewhere, uh, and there's a problem, I'm going to say, here's how you deal with it. 
That's exactly what I do. I plan to do exactly the same thing when I'm no longer pastor. Uh, you come to me and say, I don't like what the new pastor's doing or whatever. I'm going to say, here's what the Bible says, and here's how you deal with it. That's exactly what, what we need to do, and that's pretty much what this is. But he says, you know what, Moses? The buck does stop with you. There's nothing wrong with hierarchy. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand, it's not simply the guy on the top of the heap, the, the guy at the top of the pyramid. He says, you will be the people's representative before God. You're the one where, indeed, the buck stops here. So Moses, it's not bad what you're doing. It's just you're doing too much. Now, Moses, you are also have another role. If you're the guy at the top of the pyramid, you need to make sure you teach the people. And that's going to happen in a very real way right after this. Two chapters from now, Moses is going to come back to the people with God's law. And he is the one that is God's spokesman, and he's going to teach them uh, <clears throat> how they are to walk, how they are to work, and what they are to do. That's law. And that's exactly what's going to happen. I don't know that Jethro knows any of this ahead of time, but God already planned it, and I think God had Jethro come in there uh, and be kind of get Moses in the right direction there. But it's not just everyone. We live in the participation trophy error. I despise that whole, whole nonsense. You know what? Not everybody can do every job. Not everybody is gifted or talented or available or has the, the ability to do jobs. There are a lot of things you don't want me doing. You don't want me working in the nursery. You don't want me on the praise team. Uh, there are a lot of places I think I do okay, but not those places. I don't run marathons and I don't sing opera and I don't do a whole lot of other things. You know why? Because it's not me. But you might be able to do that. God uses different people. And he said, Moses, pick out able men out of all the people. Not everybody can be one of these judges. But the ones who have the particular qualifications for that. And he says, you need to select them out of the people. And he said, you need to put them over thousands and hundreds and fifties. Uh, and tens. It is going down. Every level is going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. And most things, most things are small issues. They say don't sweat the, the small stuff. Most stuff is small stuff. You know what? It can be taken care of by somebody just stepping in and saying, hey, the two of you need to look at this very differently. So Moses, don't micromanage. If you give someone something to do, let them do it. You come to me and ask me something about children's ministries, I'm going to go, boy, I wish I knew that, but you know what? I'm going to transfer you to Peter because he does a good job at that, and he's the one that knows what's going on there. I don't because I don't try to micromanage what Peter does, and it's a tiered system, and I already went over this, but he, I want you to look at the last part. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden, and here's the key, with you. No one can ever lead on their own. There are churches that are started that way. Uh, they grow fast, and you can, because you don't need to go through all the hoops and, you know, the approvals and all that. 
man, those approvals keep you out of trouble big time because people look and say, hey, pastor, you're crazy. And other times they go, hey, that's a great idea. But you know what? You're not in alone. You can say, no, other people have agreed. And then he's, uh, Jethro does something very important. He doesn't just say, I'm going to tell you what to do. He says, if you do this thing and God so commands. I do that in counseling all the time. If somebody asks me, what should I do? I'll say, here's my advice. This is what I'm encouraging you to do. But you pray about it. And if God very clearly tells you to do something, something different than this. It's not about absolute morals or ethics, that kind of thing. But other things. It's like, if God tells you to go a little bit different way or a lot different way, don't take my advice. You go by what God makes clear. And Jethro does exactly that. And notice the end result. The people will go to their place in peace, harmony, and tranquility. The end result of leadership should be harmony, tranquility, people working together, living together, and the end result is just better for everyone. And guess what they did? They worked the system out, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They went back, and they did exactly that. They appointed the leaders. The leaders took care of it. It doesn't matter if it's government. It doesn't matter if it's a church. Community organizations do exactly the same thing. We need to understand, nobody has all the answers by themselves, and nobody, even if they did, could deal with it all. The burden is too much. It's overwhelming. It's overload. And sometimes that advice comes from places that you didn't expect. But the end result is we are going to be working together. Doesn't matter if it's Paul Malfair or somebody else at work, whatever. Every, every work has managers and floor shift managers and all kinds of stuff. And there's the boss and you know, all those things. It goes down. Sometimes we don't like that. But that is a biblical way to approach leadership. I encourage you. Make sure that you see the picture for what it is. Yeah, things can be bad or good, but God is ultimately above and beyond. And yes, God uses various levels to accomplish what he needs. Let's all stand together. Father, what a great God you are. You know exactly what we need, and you make it clear to us. I pray that we would always look to you and your ways of dealing with it. I pray that we would cultivate those relationships that make these things possible. Leadership can be cold and hard. But Lord, with a relationship and fellowship, it goes so much better. I pray that we would cultivate those things to the extent that we can live together in harmony and peace and, and work for your glory and for the good of people. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.